This audio is from South Fellowship Church, located in Littleton, Colorado. Amen. Well, good morning. If you're new here, my name is Ryan Paulson. Welcome. We're so glad that you're here with us today, and we are continuing a series uh, that we're doing, looking at Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 16. We're going to jump right in today. You can follow along. We're going to start in verse 1. It says, He also said to the disciples, and he hears Jesus, There's a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him, that this man was wasting his possessions. So, so this person was hired to oversee all the affairs of a really rich man. He lived uh, in a household, sort of an estate with his family, and, and it was his job to, to care for, to take care of, potentially to invest the things that this man had. And he called him and said, what is it that I hear about you? Turn in your account of the management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? So he would have been um, homeless, jobless, and in many ways hopeless. I've decided what to do. Oh, sorry, sorry, I missed the best part. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I'm, I'm too weak to do manual labor and I'm too prideful to ask anybody for anything. I have decided what to do so that when I'm removed from my management, people might receive me into their houses. So, summoning some of his master's debtors, one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. And then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write down 80. And the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Well, I think it's pretty obvious what Jesus is saying. I mean, lie, cheat, swindle, steal in order to get the things that you want, in order to get to the top. It seems pretty obvious that that's his message. Let's hold hands and close in prayer. Well, the only problem with that is consistency. <laughs> that, is, that, that would no way, shape, or form fits with the rest of what Jesus taught and, and his message that he had for his followers and for the world around him. There was a, a man in the fourth century, his name was Julian. He later became known as Julian the Apostate, which is never what you want following your name in history. Uh, and he said early on to the Roman Empire in the fourth century, he said, you can't trust these followers of Jesus because it's their goal to lie, cheat, swindle in order to get the things that they want. He looked at math, or Luke chapter 16. It's one of the most debated passages of Scripture in the New Testament. In fact, a lot of commentaries that I looked at this week, uh, they went as far as to say there's no way that Jesus actually said this. Well, the issue with that is that it's in Scripture, and we here believe in the authority of Scripture, and uh, that the things that God intended to be in here are in here, and so uh, we're not going to go that direction. So the question we're have to, we have to wrestle with today is, what did Jesus mean by that? What did he mean by that? Now, um, I want to answer that question, but I want to set the stage for us first and walk back through this parable to really see exactly what happened. 
Uh, in order to see what Jesus is saying, we need to see who he's talking to. So in verse 1, you'll notice that Jesus addresses this teaching to the disciples. But if you jump down to verse 14, you'll see that the Pharisees were there also. Verse 14 reads, And the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. So Jesus, as he often did, had, had these two groups of people that were following him around. He had the groups of people that, that really um, sort of were intrigued by the things that he said, the people that believed the words that he said and wanted to follow after him. He also had this other group, these Pharisees, who everything he said they pressed back against because his intention was really to press on the things that they had come to believe as truth. And so you'll see in this passage and many others that Jesus tells one story to address two groups of people. He does it masterfully, he does it beautifully, and he does it in a way that's a little bit confusing in this passage, if we're honest. Well, okay, so let's look at the story. What happens? There's a man who's an employee. He's a manager, and he works for a guy who's a, a wealthy landowner, uh, presumably, and, and he works on this land. He makes deals for him, and he is really in charge of overseeing all of his master's finances. And his master comes to him one day and says, hey, your job is done. It's no more because of the way that you've managed and because of the way that you've treated the things that I've entrusted you with. We're not given a lot of information on what happened there, um, so... so Assume whatever you want about why he's let go, but he's let go. And the guy starts going, listen, I'm, I'm weak and I'm prideful, which pins me into a corner because I don't want to go dig ditches and get a manual labor job, and I'm too proud to ask anybody for anything. Don't you love the limitations that he understands he has? I mean, he's not, he's not being pretentious. He's just sort of, this is who I am. I'm weak and I'm prideful, which makes unemployment a difficult thing. So, he decides that he is going to use one of the few resources left at his disposal, quote-unquote, in order to make friends. So that when he's let go, other people might say to him, hey, come work for us. Come live on our property. Come live on our land. So, first, he invites debtor number one. Debtor number one owes his master a hundred measures of oil, presumably olive oil. This would have taken about 150 trees to produce this much oil. It would have been in the ballpark of somewhere around three years worth of wages for a normal working person back in that day. And so he sort of in this shady sense like says, all right, you grab the book, you write down 50 instead of 100, cross it out. I think it's intentional that he makes him write it down himself. Then they're partners in this shady deal, and he can't go back and say, well, your servant, your manager said that I could do it. He's clearly part of it. So the guy isn't, isn't stupid. Second person owes 100 bushels or measures of wheat. Now, depending on who you read and, and who you trust, uh, this is, um, regardless of who you read and who you trust, this is a lot, a lot of money. It would take about 100 acres to produce this much wheat. So people estimate that it was anywhere between 8 and 10 years worth of wages that this guy owed to the manager's master. He says, take it, take the book and cross that out and write down 80. We don't know why he didn't get as good of a deal, but that's neither here nor there. He's shady. He's really shady. 
Verse 8 says, the master commended, as in, bravo, the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. So, Let's not, go, let's not take that too far. A lot of people take that and they do crazy things with it. They say that you and I should be shady also. I don't know that we should be dishonest, but I do think that Jesus is saying that we should be shrewd. But here's what he's saying. He's not saying, I approve of the way that you operated. What he's saying is that um, I was bested. Bravo. Um, it'll be the same speech that Mike Shanahan gives after the Bronco game tonight. I was, I was bested. A, a better team beat us today. Uh, so it's sort of a it's, a, it's a, it's an athletic term, it's a sports term where they just go, all right, you, you know, they were better than us on the field today, fine, nothing I can do about that. Then he says, Jesus says, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. So here's what he said, here's what Jesus says. He says, I wish that people that followed me were more like that. Not that, they're, not that they're shady, not that they're dishonest, but that they're shrewd. That they're shrewd. I mean, let's, let's just take a bird's eye view of the story. Let's not read too much into it yet. Let's just take a bird's eye view of the story. There's a manager who's entrusted a certain amount of goods. And the master comes back to him and says, you need to give an account for the way that you've used the goods that I've entrusted to you. And he at that point says, I'm going to use the things entrusted to me to leverage a future that's better than that which would have been coming to me otherwise. He becomes aware of his future, and with that awareness of his future, he starts to use the things at his disposal differently. That's the story arc. He's a manager using his things in a certain way. He becomes aware of his future and he then starts using the things that he has at his disposal in a different way. So, is Jesus saying be shady? No. Is he saying be shrewd? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I think what he would say to us this morning is this. Use the stuff that you have to make the most of the things that matter. Use the stuff that you have to make the most of the things that matter. You see, fundamentally, as followers of Jesus, we are sent people. We are, we are missionaries commissioned by God to go into the world to be a light that pierces the darkness. And I think one of the things that happens to us as we're in church longer and longer is it becomes sort of a spectator sport. And he goes, no, 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 that's not it at all. I've given you certain gifting. I've given you certain time. I've given you a certain mind that you should use and enter into darkness as light to make a difference, not just observe. I have a calling for you, he would say. I have a, a mission for you. And Jesus, embracing his mission, was the most strategic person to ever walk the face of the earth. Uh, you don't believe me. Name one other homeless Jewish man that lived 2,000 years ago whose name you know. Uh, I mean, we have a guy. 
who on the surface, this is sort of his resume, he lived 33 years, spent the most of his time with a circle of three guys, had another nine that he invested in, one of whom betrayed him and stabbed him in the back. That's who he spends the majority of his time with, and his vision, his mission still carries on through you and through me today. Listen, I think if you were to sit down with Jesus and play Settlers of Catan, a strategy board game, he would have dominated you. I mean, he would have beat you before the board was even set up. You'd be going, I didn't know that I traded you that. And he's like, oh yeah, and I built all these cities and I just dominate. Never mind, I'm going too, too much. I know, some of your eyes glazed over. But even as Jesus sent out his disciples into the world, this is what he says to him. This is his brave heart pep talk speech to his disciples. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And this isn't one of those Hallmark card feel-good talks that Jesus gives. This is not your best life now. It's him saying, this is going to be real, this is going to be difficult, this is going to be hard. You're the sheep. There's wolves out there. That usually ends in a bloody mess. So he says, be as wise as serpents or as shrewd as serpents, as some translations will say, and as innocent as doves. See, here's the deal. Some of us don't know the world that we walk out into. We're so used to just sort of getting in line with culture that we have no idea that there's wolves waiting to devour. But Jesus says, no, that's the reality. People aren't going to like my message. They're not going to flock to it. They're not going to love it. But you're called to be wise with the stewardship of the gift and the message that I've given you is what he says to the disciples. So use the disciples. He says, use the things that you have to make the most of the stuff that really matters. Don't just get in line with culture, but, but actually think about how we use the things that God has given us. Like a manager who's fighting for his life. He goes, that's sort of how you should think about the stuff God gives you. Well, the question becomes, what does that actually really look like? I'm glad you asked that. If you hadn't asked that, I don't know what I was going to do with the next 25 minutes. So thanks for asking, um, and here's where we're going to land. We're going to unpack verses 1 through 8, come up with one central point that Jesus makes. In verse 9, he makes another. 10 through 12, he makes one more. And then he ends with one big point in verse 13. And I just want to spend the rest of our time unpacking with you how Jesus teaches us to be people that live with a certain amount of shrewdness, um, wisdom. Think wisdom. Think strategy. Think, um, think always thinking about how you can make an impact. Verse 1. There's a rich man who's manager who had a manager and charges were brought against him that he was wasting his possessions. It's literally the same phraseology that the scriptures talk about in Luke 15 about the way that the younger brother squanders his possessions in a far off land. He says, you're just, you're wasting it. And he called him and said to him, what's this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management. Now, I want to uh, share with you a really humbling reality that you and I all stand under. Not one heart beating in this room that doesn't stand under this um, prevailing reality about our lives, and it's that there will come a day when you and I will stand before the throne of God, 
to give account for the way that we use the things that he gave us. There will be. It will not determine, hear me on this, you may want to write it down, because it will not determine whether or not you get into heaven and have the chance to enjoy God's presence eternally. However, it will determine how much you enjoy that. The fact of the matter is, to the extent to which we use our lives to leverage it for the mission of God is the extent to which we'll enjoy the presence of God and the kingdom of God. Jesus is going to talk about rewards over and over and over again in Scripture. So are, so are the um, other authors. Uh, Paul talks about it a lot, the fact that, that there will be rewards in heaven. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? I think the best thing that God can give us is um, himself, And so the people who leverage their life for the kingdom, they have this sense that I I spent my life on things that really matter, and there's this joy that just exudes, even in heaven, even in heaven. So, So I think Jesus would say to his followers today, live with an awareness, a daily awareness of eternity. Live today with an awareness of eternity. Over the last um, few weeks, I've had the chance to interact with people, to pray with people who were days away from meeting Jesus face-to-face. That's a, that's a beautiful, humbling, um, direction-recalculating reminder of the fact that one day we'll all be there. We'll all be there. And it's so easy to walk through life and to just get so caught up in the temporal, in the here and the now, and forget about the fact that there's eternity that waits. Eternity with Jesus for the, for the follower of Christ. And what, what Jesus would say to his followers is when you're aware of that end, you use the things that you have differently. The stuff that you have in your hand, the stuff that you have in your garage, the stuff that you have in your house starts to take on a little bit of a different flavor. It looks a little bit different to you because you know that it's going to be gone someday and so are you. So you start to ask different questions about your stuff. So many of the time, so much of the time, I think we're caught up in this um, very short-sighted reality that's true for a lot of us and we lose sight of eternity and the fact that we will be held accountable. I mean, look at the way that the book of Romans says this. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. He'll say, how'd you use the stuff I gave you? I don't know about you, but that doesn't enter into my everyday all that often, that question, that truth. Doesn't enter into my everyday, and I think it robs me of some of the joy that God would have me walk in. I think if that question is at the forefront of our mind, it actually frees us to live life and enjoy life more. To enjoy life more. I, I read this story this week about a gentleman who made a decision that he inevitably will regret if he does not already. This is a, a young man who spent. Um, nearly, or actually at least $100,000 on plastic surgery. Young guy. And and he was intentional with his plastic surgery. He spent $100,000 on plastic surgery to look like Justin Bieber. 
He needs to get his money back. And it's sort so, not, sorry, sorry, Justin. Uh, <laughs> now, here's the thing. Here's the thing that's sad. Nobody in his life steps up and says, wait, what? What are you doing? What, what are you doing with, with that $100,000? I don't think that's his biggest regret, though. I think his biggest regret is when nobody's heard of Justin Bieber, his story is still, hey, I look like Justin Bieber. And people go, who's that? Like, he was awesome back in 2013. And I started in my mind going, who is this guy? What a ridiculous waste of money. And I just sensed God and his Holy Spirit saying to me, Ryan, some of the things you spend money on may not be that dumb, but they're dumb. And I, and I probably will never spend money to look like Justin Bieber. Um, well, no, I will never spend money <laughs> ever to make myself look like Justin Bieber, but in light of eternity, how much of the stuff I spend on looks like that? In light of the fact that we're living lives that will last eternally and this temporal stuff God gives us to make the most of things that matter, does, is that what my checking account looks like in light of eternity? See, I think Jesus would say to you and to me, just like this manager had this awareness of the end, that when we live with an awareness of the end, it starts to change the way that we look at the stuff that we have. I love the way that C.T. Studd puts it, and can we all agree, what a name. (laughs) If my last name was Studd, I would abbreviate my first name as well. And R. Studd. Okay, um... And it turns out from the things that he wrote that he was a stud. I mean, listen to this. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I'm dying, how happy I'll be. And I would add, and, and while we live too, this isn't just a, an end type of thing, joy that Jesus wants, but while we live, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has been burned out for thee. I don't know about you, but, but as I'm going to meet the Lord, there's nothing that I would want to be able to say and to know more than, Jesus, I used my life for your kingdom. I used it, and you used it. Well, Jesus goes on, and he doesn't get any easier. He says this, I tell you, I tell you, he says to his disciples, I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth. Literally, it's, uh, it could be translated untrue wealth or, or, or wealth that pales in comparison to things that really matter. So he says, unrighteous wealth, think money, think stuff. I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth. So use that unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwelling. See, he's saying we should be the type of people that use our money, that allow our money, our finances, our stuff, our minds, our time, our whatever resource God gives us to work for us in such a way, not just for our enjoyment. Here's the way I want to sort of frame what he says for you. 
Give generously, he would say to those who want to live as shrewd managers of the things he's given us. Give generously by viewing life not only as enjoyment, but as investment. But as investment. You can enjoy your stuff now, or you can invest it and have it work for eternity. And he goes, there's not even really a debate. You're called to and invited to enjoy the stuff you have, but that's not the only intention God gives you things for. But isn't that hard? Because investing means that we are deliberately, intentionally delaying gratification to a later time whereby which we trust that our initial seed, our investment, will grow. Sometimes. Depends on what the market does. I can remember when my grandparents gave me savings bonds for my birthday. I've never been so disappointed in my life. Like, oh, in 2040, these are going to be worth something. Remind me to write you a thank you letter then. Right? Like, little note, okay, yeah, uh, thank you, Grandma and Grandpa. But here's what he says. Here's what he says, that um, you can enjoy your money or invest it. But then he says the way that you're generous to other people is actually an investment, an investment. It gives you the ability to speak into their lives. It gives you the ability to form friendships, and it may even lead to, that investment may even lead to what he's going to call later true riches, true riches. And his whole framing, his whole point is you can try to hold on to your stuff and your resources or you can give it away. And he says it's better to live generously because, verse 9, your stuff will fail you. Your money will fail. Well, how does that happen? How does that happen? I think there's three primary ways, probably more, but at least three. One, and we all know this is true, vanishes. I mean, you ever get to the end of the month and go, how did that happen? As you're like reconciling your checkbook, or, um, checkbook, sorry, uh, for those of you who are younger, the checkbook is something where you actually have these <laughs> checks in there and you tear, um, anyway, where you get to the end of the month, Proverbs says this, the writer of Proverbs says, do not toil to acquire wealth, be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it's gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, any, any amens, and flies like an eagle toward heaven. It's true. So he goes, that's really what you want to use it for? You just want to use it to acquire it? No, it's going to, he says, use it for investment, not just enjoyment. Second thing, second thing, is I think that it fails us because even when we get it, it doesn't deliver on what it promises. We always hope that money will bring something, add something to our life. And even when we get it, this is Solomon's story in the book of Ecclesiastes. I have it all, more than you can possibly imagine, and it's not enough, and it lets me down. I mean, he doesn't like plant a tree in his front yard. He plants like forests. His parties last for days and days and days. And he goes, I've had it all, and it's empty. The third way uh, that it lets you down, that it fails you, is that we die. And the statistics of people taking their stuff with them when they die, it's not that good. It's not that good. 
So the question that I would ask if I were reading this and go, if it fails us, my question would be, well, how do we use the things that we have as investment? As investment. I think here's the thing that we do. We respond to God's invitation to live life open-handedly. And we say back to him, God, everything that I have is yours. You use it however you please. However you please. So it becomes investment when we give it to him and say, God, what do you want to do with it? I love in the book of Exodus when, uh, when God is calling Moses to lead the people out of Egypt. Moses is like, I'm completely uneducated, unequipped, and unable to do what you've called me to do. And God says to him, listen to this, the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff, a stick. And God goes, I can use that. I can use that stick. If you'll give it to me, see now the stick is just a stick until it's given to God, and then it becomes, as he throws it down on the ground, a snake, and then as he holds it over the Red Sea, it parts the Red Sea, and that stick, as he hits that rock, water starts to flow out of it. You see, the things that we give to God, that we invest and say, you use them, he turns them into something that he uses for his kingdom. So the question is, what are you holding? What are you holding? In the story, we see that that this man holds a position. His words mean something. Yours do too. One of the things that you hold is is position in your, maybe in your family, maybe in your neighborhood, maybe in your workplace. If we open our hands to God and say, God, how do you want to use it? He will. He will. Uh, We hold some sort of finances, some resources. He says, will you allow me to use those for my kingdom and for my glory? I had a student in our college ministry in California who for extra credit in his college class went to get tested for this Be a Match Foundation. It was a way that they they test your your blood marrow, uh, your bone marrow, sorry, and uh, put you in this database. And a few months later, he got a call that there was this little girl in Texas, not even three years old yet, who he was a match for. So he had this decision, am I going to use the stuff that I have to make the most of the things that matter? And he did, and and the reason that I remember the story is because just recently, uh, last weekend, he got to go down and to meet this three-year-old girl who, without his sacrifice, may not have made it. And see, here's the thing. Will you just look up at me for just a second? The things that you have in your hand may not make a difference in somebody's physical life, but they will make a difference if you'll use them for the glory of God. Allow him to work through you. He will use them. Whatever you have, you may think it's insignificant. He'll use it for his name and his glory. One of the things that many of us carry and we hold close-fisted and say to him, no thank you, you can't use that, is, is the pain of life that we go through. One of the main tools in your hand may be the journey that you've walked and the pain that you've walked through. It may be the story that somebody needs that God will use, just like he used that staff in Moses' hand. If we're willing to release it and invest it, he says, I will redeem that pain and that hurt, and I'll use it in the lives of so many people if you would just be willing to share your story. He goes, I'll use it. 
I'll use it. The gifts that you have from God, the time that you have, I think maybe if we viewed our life like that, we'd waste a lot less time. We'd probably watch less TV, play less video games, and spent more time on the things that actually matter. Well, he goes on. So, so will I. Yeah, I thought I had like three hours to give this message, so that's what all those other verses were. It's weird, weird every week. Verse 10, one who is faithful with very little is also with faith, faithful in much. So he says your, your character determines how you use your stuff, not the quantity of your stuff. Isn't that a, a lie that we often believe? If I had more, then I'd be more generous. And what he says is, no, you wouldn't. No, you just, you just waste more. And so he's like, I'm not going to give you more. Um, and little and much. And one who's dishonest in very little is, oft, is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, things that aren't really riches. He says, who will entrust you with the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in what's another's, who will give you that which is your own? And he asks you and I to make this fundamental shift in our, in our view of everything that we have. The very breath that we take, the money that we have, the gifts that God's given us, the time that he's given us. And he says, if you want to be shrewd, you make this fundamental shift in the way that you look at your stuff. And you remain faithful by shifting your view from ownership to stewardship. See, ownership is something that's yours, but stewardship is something that you have the opportunity to look after. What would happen if we started to view all of life as stewardship? What would happen is if as we um, get in our car and drive to school on Monday morning and walk into those halls, what if, what if that was viewed as a stewardship of our time? What if it was viewed as stewardship as we walked in the door on Monday morning to, to our work? Oh, here's a tough one. What if we viewed the kids that God has given to us not as ours, but as his. It's a game changer, friends. It's a game changer. What if, our, what if our marriage, what if we were stewards of our marriage? God, how do you want me to use this for your name and for your glory? See, God is looking for people. God is looking for people who view the things that they have as stewardship, not ownership. And what he says in this passage is, if you're faithful with a little bit, I'm going to give you more and more and more. Why? Because he's looking for people that he can pour kingdom resources through. Not just resources into, but resources through, that we would become vessels of blessing to the world around us. He goes, that's the kind of people, that's the kind of people that I'm looking for. And I'll give those people true riches. The heck with money. I'll give them the stuff that really matters in life. Look at the way that he says the same thing in Luke 19, verse 17. And he said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. Because you've been faithful with a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. Over, you shall have authority over more. Hmm. So what, that, what might that look like? To view all of life 
a stewardship. Well, he continues and closes by saying this. No servant can serve two masters. And everybody would go, yeah, of course, of course, Jesus. For, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve. So he gets down to his sort of crescendo, his point. You can't serve both God and money. You can either, either use your things, your stuff, for the things that really matter, or you can just enjoy them. One of them, though, is going to drive the way that you interact with the world around you. And the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard these things. And they ridiculed him, and they ridiculed him. That caught me off guard. Caught me off guard because throughout the scriptures I read about the Pharisees and I read about the fact that they were law-abiding citizens to the point where even with their spices, they tithed 10%. I mean, can you imagine the priests going, what am I supposed to do with this pinch of salt? They're like, I don't know, that's your deal. We're just supposed to give 10%. So we'll give 10% of everything and anything. So what we see is that Jesus is not just looking for people to give their stuff. If they were, if he were, the Pharisees would have said, said great teaching, bravo, shrewd we are. They didn't, though. They pressed back against it. Why? Because Jesus doesn't want their stuff. He wants their worship. He wants their life. He wants everything that they are. He wants them to understand that, that not just, I'm not just a, a steward over 10%. I'm a steward over it all, and that means it's all yours, Jesus. Every single breath that I take, every gift that I have, every dollar that's mine is actually yours. And they were irate. And I think Jesus would say to you and to I today, if we're going to be people who are shrewd managers, who are wise, who are strategic, who use the things that we have to make the most of the stuff that matters, then we need to recognize that the affection of our heart will determine the direction of our wallet and our time and our gifts and our everything that we have. And see, the place that we invest our treasure does two things. One, it reveals, and two, it directs, it guides. In many ways, your heart actually follows the places and the things that you invest your resources in. So that's why Jesus never shies away from talking about money. And he talks about it more than anything else, and he's not shy about it. He doesn't go, well, sorry, guys, I'm bummed I have to talk about this, but no, 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 no. He talks about money because he knows that he is not fighting for their wallet, he's fighting for their heart. And he invites them not to give to him. I mean, this Justin, Jesus was not a wealthy person in an unrighteous wealth sort of way, in a monetary sort of way. He died with hardly anything to his name. A few rolls of the dice and it was gone. He doesn't want their money. He wants their heart. He wants their soul. And he says, the way that you use the things that I give you will determine, reveal, and direct your heart. See, here's the truth of the matter, friend. In your spending, you worship. You worship. And what we spend ourselves on, our time on, our resources on, 
That's the question. What are we worshiping? And see, the people who give their resources, give their stuff, give their hearts to God, they're people that are 24-7 worshipers. Every minute of every day. And they will stop at nothing and they will use everything to build his kingdom. Are we that type of people? Are we shrewd enough to live in such a way in this world to where we use the stuff we have to make the most of the things that matter? It's God's invitation to you. It's his invitation to you. If it means throwing a dinner party and having a bunch of people over, then do it. If it means helping somebody out financially, then do it. If it means forming relationships, then do it. The value of the kingdom and the place of the king in your life is worth it. Do it. Do it. I want to close with just two statements. One, this only feels like sacrifice in theory. So when you hear it and it falls on your heart and you process it, it you go, that's, that's a sacrifice, Ryan, that I'm not willing to make, or maybe I am willing to make it, but that's a sacrifice. And I want to tell you, it only feels like sacrifice in theory. And when you actually live it out, it feels like a hedonistic quest for joy because Jesus pours way more into you than you'll ever pour out. One. It maybe starts to feel like true riches. Two, the only, this only feels like sacrifice this side of heaven. And on the other side, it looks like investment. I pray, I pray that you and I would be shrewd managers, that he would shape us into people who, who use the things that we have to make the most of the things that matter, because he is a God that used the things that he had, his very self, to offer you the thing that really matters, life eternally with him. So why can he be trusted with all of life and all of our stuff? Well, because he's a God who graciously, lovingly, and redemptively already gave all to you. So you be shrewd, make an impact for his kingdom, for his glory, and your joy. Would you stand with me as we close our time together in prayer? This audio was from South Fellowship Church. Feel free to make copies of this message, but please do not alter the content in any way. For more information about South Fellowship Church, please visit southfellowship.org.